Have you ever turned on a podcast in a public place and started listening, only for the three dumb hosts to suddenly start talking about Wolverine's cock? Well, it might happen if you listen here, so here's your friendly content warning that, um, we're gonna probably talk about Wolverine's cock, and we'll definitely swear a bunch. Hi everybody, I'm Tyler. And I'm Zach. We're Aeronauts and we're back with more Word Balloons. We've been flying high on our own hot air, but have stopped our journey to the House of Mystery because we're here. Hooray! We have made it to the House of Mystery. It's a mysterious house. Zach, what can we expect to find here at the House of Mystery? Mysteries. Also, nothing good. They got sandwiches? Possibly John Constantine. Editor and so is Steven here. I'm looking for a sandwich. I, I'm very hungry. They might have sandwiches. I wouldn't take anything John Constantine has, like, touched. I mean, you could probably make Abel make a sandwich. So, uh, for reference, because we've realized that we've never actually explained any of the places we're going, we're just like, we're going there! Good luck with this! I'm just... <laughs> I hope you know what this is, because that's where we're going! <laughs> I'm just sending Wikipedia traffic. Uh, <laughs> I feel like a couple of them we've had some looser... <laughs> A little bit Context of an explanation. Uh, I guess Westchester when we went there. But uh, anyways, the House of Mystery was originally a... It was a site that the... Um, I'm trying... I'm blank. I can never think of what they're called, but they're basically like storyteller characters, like the Crypt Keeper. Narrator. Narrator. A lot more... Meta-story framing devices. That's a better way of putting it. That's I mean, there's much an actual better. term for it that I'm not finding here, but yes... The Phantom Stranger used to do it. Madame Xanadu used to do it. As I said, the Crypt Keeper's probably the most famous one. Uh, someone would show up, there'd be creepy atmospheric stuff, and then they'd be like, and then in this next story, in the case of the House of Mystery, it was Cain and Abel, a.k.a. Cain and Abel, like, from the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> I realized the saying that. Uh, you would know them best from the Sandman. Mm-hmm. The House of Mystery later is used as an actual location in the DC universe, and it is owned by John Constantine, who, I guess, in the New 52 version, when he invites you in... You've read more of this Justice League Dark series than I have. Oh god, but it's been a while now, because we went on a huge Marvel tear, considering but our other podcast. When he invites you in, you kind of get trapped to the house... And he can just kind of summon you whenever you're needed, and you get forcibly conscripted to the uh, Justice League Dark. Like, so do I get, like, a member badge now that we're here, or...? I feel in, like, Wonder Woman's version of Justice League Dark, there's probably badges. Ah, man, I just got really disappointed that Bats the Ghost Dog's not gonna be here. That's a different universe. Yeah, I would infinitely rather go to Bleecker Street than I would, um, the House of Mystery, like... Bleecker Street, you're probably going to get out of a lot. I just got myself real excited and then immediately disappointed when I realized how wrong I was. And I just, <laughs> you, you guys don't even know the the whirlwind of emotions I'm feeling. No, I get it. This place causes such turbulence for me because here we are hang, being able to go hang out with John Constantine. However, if I become a friend of his, I'm probably going to die. What if you fuck him, though? You're probably, probably going to die. die. Like, you, possibly you, faster. Uh, okay, I, that was my question. Is one of them better likelihood or less likelihood? Um, although Probably shit, gonna die. 
Dude, could... Also, your hipster insistence on Constantine instead of Constantine, like the battle that was lost in the 80s. Um, more important question, uh, drop everything else. Can can I become a legend? Can I get on the legends? Uh, I just want to get on the wave rider with Constantine. That's a good if, question. If, I gotta, if that's how I get there, uh, Constantine, baby, all the way. <laughs> Before we go into the actual episode itself, we're going to have a bit of a sad moment here. Uh, we want to dedicate this episode to Ian Ford, the creator of our theme song tracks. Ian Ford recently lost his battle to cancer, right? It was. And um, that sucks. Ian was a pretty cool dude. We all had kind of lost contact with him because he had moved to Florida, but he permeates this podcast that he was never actually on just by his theme song that we literally dance to every single episode as it ends. It doesn't play. No, we all just start going, do, 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 do. And like all, we're doing it now. All of our heads are just kind of moving to it. Like We can, we can feel it in my, I feel it in my bones. It's burned into me. It's, yeah. So, yeah. That'll always stay with us. Thanks, Ian. Miss ya. Uh, I guess with that in mind, let's... <laughs> I'm sorry, sorry there's no mind? good way to there's, transition. There's no way to transition out of a memorial of something other than a commercial break. But <laughs> Which we, we don't we do. We don't have sponsors, so. Uh, yeah, let's go into what uh, the characters that were brought up in this season being the somewhat horror characters. This was a hard one to pick, It was horror-themed. Oh, yeah, but... we started this in October. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like a week before Halloween. We, we started this for spoopy season. Oh, my God. And then life hit. And then oh life hit God. real we, fucking hard. If we seem off today, it's because I don't think we've recorded a month and a half. Sounds about right. We were so far ahead. Oh, we <laughs> haven't recorded a month and a half, and I think we haven't recorded a month and a half because of a lot of fucking February and <laughs> January week. hitting us hard. So it was kind of horror-themed. There's not a lot of really good Marvel DC, like, true horror characters. Well, th I mean, there are, but you and I have been doing a Marvel horror podcast, or Marvel, like, magic podcast. We did it for, like, two years, so if you're going through all of the ones that, like... Oh, yeah, there was a bunch that I just couldn't bring up because we did, like, an hour and a half on them in a different podcast. Yeah, <laughs> yeah tell me about Dracula. Go listen to the fucking episode. I'm not doing it again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you just pull out your phone and you play the episode. So I guess we'll, we'll let's hit this in order. Uh, one below all, you need to give us a half redemption. So we had the basic idea of one below all kind of there. Like, I knew that he's from Immortal Hulk, created by Al Ewing. Joe Bennett, I want to say, but I don't have that name off the top of my head. Uh, and that he was the opposite of one above all, which is Marvel's God. Yeah, so like the God is to the devil as the one above all is to the one below all. To the point, and then we, you just wanted some kind of more detail. He has been referred to as God's Hulk. So what Hulk is to Bruce Banner, the one below all is to God. Oh, that's cool. That's one depiction, and it kind of gets changed because Hulk ends up being more, not more powerful, but more. Fuck. Mm -hmm. they, dude, we should send this into Christianity. <laughs> they should do that. <laughs> oh, but I know some people who would not like hearing that. Um, no, no. Bear with me, guys. The devil is God. God's, 
God's Hulk. It's so, God, but when he's mad. There is a lot more to this because, as you mentioned, uh, there's a whole bunch of Kabbalistic subtext to Immortal Hulk that I don't understand enough to fail to go into, let alone, like, anything. But basically, the one above all is the multiversal concept of life and creation. And thus, the one below all, its equal and opposite counterweight is entropy, is nothing. So its goal is nothing. Part of the problem and part of the reason why it hasn't succeeded is it doesn't have a mind of its own. Also, as a note, this is across the multiverse. This is like similar to how the Scarlet Witch is supposed to be a Nexus being. So like one in the multiverse, except they've always ignored that. Mm -hmm. The one above all and the one below all is not connected to like the 616 universe. It's all universes. So he's kind of the source of destruction and entropy and evil across all possible existences. He, it can, I don't, shouldn't say he, possess. If it's gonna be gendered, <laughs> it's probably gonna be a dude. But being a construct that is a constant beyond multiversal concepts, uh, I imagine it doesn't have genitalia. It, it can possess various things to help its goal going along kind of give it a brain to help orient oh, shit, it. it can have a dick well it yeah. can have bruce's dad's dick Ooh. because it does end up merging at least a little bit i i bought all of immortal hulk after this but i haven't finished reading through it yet the ghost of bruce banner's dad the abusive son of a bitch that used to beat bruce banner that helped lead to the multiple personality problems that led to the hulk and then later the leader uh, it can access the greater multiverse through the green doors, which is uh, a weird Hulk concept that I'm not getting new. into. It it takes too long, and he is the source of the third form of gamma, which is just like there's normal gamma radiation, and then there's I'm going to make you a Hulk gamma radiation, and that's like comes from him. And is I felt like the way that it was brought up in Immortal Hulk was that it was. Ewing finally, like, giving an in-universe explanation as to why they're still studying Gamma after all of these years. Because, like, the most brilliant minds on Earth have studied it for half a century now. There's just... There's just some weird gamma guys. And, and we, the got, whole... we got gamma radiation figured out, but sometimes there's some very weird gamma radiation. That's the stuff we're trying to figure out. And so basically it's like... Like with light, how sometimes it's a wave, sometimes it's a particle. Gamma's like, sometimes it's science, sometimes it's magic. Sometimes it's science, sometimes it's evil magic. Um, sometimes it's science he that's actually also evil does magic. end up destroying all of existence at one point in the mm -hmm. far future because uh, as this universe ends and the next one begins, he's the last one there, which theoretically should make you something akin to Galactus in the next universe, but because it was just the one below all, he just... Basically stops the next universe from happening. Yes. But thanks to strange machinations that we're not going to go into, because we do not have time for that, he's kind of self-defeating, and then the Hulk chooses to save him, sort of. It's it's really complicated. It's so good, though. Really good, really complicated. I, that's as good as you're going to be able to do without giving, <laughs> like, an entire hour episode on just that series. Right. Cannot recommend it highly enough. Uh, Anton Arcane. Now, you specifically, I had it mostly correct. He's an yeah. evil techno wizard. I probably could have given you the full, but, like... You wanted me to talk about the Unmen. 
Yeah, because so they're fun. that's kind of what I looked up. Yeah, you said they're basically the reason he's depicted as like a horror character. Yeah. Um, the Unman is mostly just a really baller name. <laughs> and correct me if I'm missing anything that you wanted on this because the uh, wiki on the Unman is a little vague. So Anton Arcane in the 40s worked for the Nazis because, again, he's not a good dude. When you're a techno-necromancer... Excuse me. When you're a techno-necromancer, um, you suck. Yeah, when you get into necromancy, you're usually crossing a border of which uh, you can't come back from, and it's usually the border into suckitude. Yeah, this border is... Uh, he hop-skipped and jumped over it because he used... Um, quote-unquote, human resources from concentration camps. <laughs> I'm not laughing at that. I'm laughing at Steven's Gross. horrified face. Uh, that's, oh, God, that's so fucking horrific. To uh, stitch together, literally, his first prototype experiments in the Unmen, which are... He was manipulating genetic stock of random humans to create a subspecies of mutated freaks. They were basically his, like, kind of zombie minions, kind of, like, built from the bodies. Uh, That's really fucked up, guys. And without much in the way of brain. Yeah, it was bad. Yeah, I just wanted to get to them because they're really the reason why he's remembered as a horror character, especially because traditionally none of them look the same. There's usually, like, I don't know, like a head just, like, sewn to, like, a hand that'll be crawling around. Okay, so there, thing. there is one thing that I want oh, to get to. Oh, that's horrible. That's horrible. Is that show me... Oh, that's not the picture I was looking at, because the picture they were showing on this one is uh, oh, because he does literally animal like parts a baby fetus too, crawling right? out of a mm. human's mouth, that's... like a corpse's mouth. Mm-hmm. Guys, this is incredibly this is bad. Yeah. fucked up. Anyways, I was not prepared in the for this. Sixties. I'm sorry. In the sixties, the American government finds some unmen and decides to start doing their own experiments, trying to create their own unmen, and in the process perfect the process and create a new one named Damien Kane who appears as a normal healthy baby boy. The United States Army monitors him for the next couple of decades where he's raised as a normal human being uh, not realizing his origin and given a false story of why he's an orphan. And then in the 90s, whatever was keeping him normal wears off and he looks suddenly like an unman. And that's where the story ends, according to this <laughs> Wikipedia article, because I didn't look into David Kane further. It's just oh done. Okay, these, Steven looks like he's going to cry. We might need to move past the These unmet. are very upsetting, guys. <laughs> um, I'm, I'll be okay, but like, oof. I just like... Okay, literally, this is the last... Kane appeared as a normal, healthy baby boy. The United States Army monitored Kane for the next two decades. They never revealed his true origins and even fabricated his past, telling him that his parents died in a plane crash over Central America. In 1994, however, that process that kept Kane's human appearance began to go into regression. He was brought to Dr. Mangue's office, and the guilt-ridden doctor finally told Damien the truth about his unmen heritage. Dun, dun, dun. That's it. That's where the, like... The, I'm sorry, son. I don't You're an know unman. if there's more... I'm sorry, <laughs> you're dead and a Frankenstein-type monster. Wow, okay, if you actually you look on... this far. If you actually look on his thing, like, if you look at him instead of just Unmen, he does have a long, ongoing storyline. Okay. Interesting. That's very upsetting. <laughs> uh, okay, let's move along. Let's see, you got Professor Pig. Uh, which... We left out the important factor of he appears in the uh, very slept on Beware the Batman cartoon, which 
he's fucking baller, but like mostly like Mr. Toad's wild ride. Like he's chasing and then like randomly Alfred with a gun and Katana instead of Robin and Professor Pig is there. Mm hmm. I did see the professor. I didn't watch much of that show, but I did see the Professor Pig episode. I watched the whole thing. It really is. I'm, yeah, I'm pretty sure that was my introduction to Professor Pig. I think that was the first time I'd seen him. I was mostly sad of Raven the Bolt going away. Yeah, you. I, I imagine you had a grudge on that one. I, I'm a big fan of Brave and the Bold. Oh, although is he in Brave and the Bold? He might be in the Brave and the Bold. I feel like Professor that. Pig. That show had a lot of fucking deep cuts. Yeah, but that's a pretty but they dark had a bunch cut. of seventies deep cuts. <laughs> uh, good point. Very good point. That was much more modern. Yeah, Laszlo Valentine might be a little fucking heavy. I would so watch that though. Oh my god, Diedrich Bader. <laughs> <laughs> like it'd be a wild pull, but I think they could do it. Make Professor Pig meet those hammers of justice. Oh my yeah. god. Okay, uh, you got the Shadow Colonel. Uh, Dracula's shit-ass son. You got Deacon Frost. Steven Dorff. You need to do a full redemption on the family man. Okay, so I didn't find much on this guy, so There's you might not have a to... ton. It's just that, like, he's important enough to Constantine. I'm saying it again. Fuck yeah, you. we're just... Is he married to Lois? No, it's family man, not family guy. <laughs> that, like, there's an entire story arc named the family man. Yeah. And, um... he's, and he's mentioned in Sandman. So his art style, like, the picture they use for him makes him look like he's from a much older comic than he's from, mm -hmm. which is really interesting to me, but he's from the 80s. Interesting. The Family Man, real name Samuel Morris, the Family Man was his um, serial killer alias. So, you know, Werewolf of Wisteria, or the uh, Vampire of Dusseldorf, or, you know, which, whoever, the Son of Sam. Yeah. Chuck and Night Stalker. The Night Stalker. Yeah, exactly. He's the family man. He's a serial killer that goes around and he either kills other families or drives them to kill themselves. He would then take a memento and, according to the DC wiki, sell it on, which I don't know what that is trying to say. I think he... I don't remember that part too much, but yeah. Sell it? Yeah. Okay, cool. Defeats... Utterly defeats the point of why a serial killer takes a trophy, but sure, why not? Anyways... He was able to do this for years because multiple people were backing him and sometimes helping him find families, which includes John Constantine's friend, Jerry O'Flynn. When Constantine sets out to stop the family man, Morris retaliates by killing Constantine's father, hence why he is important. Yep. And Constantine killing him is why he doesn't show up to the serial killer convention in Sandman. Oh, okay. And it's the Corinthian that takes his place. Uh... That's kind of cool. Yeah. I don't know if I want to call that cool, but you know what I'm saying. No, it, yeah, it's it's one of those... They they cross those two series over a lot, like... They were both coming mm -hmm. out around the same time. They were really those early Vertigo titles were trying to do still kind of a cohesive universe before they said, fuck it. Let's see... I just have the I ones have... I have wrong, and I can't read your handwriting, so I'm going to have to trust you I was about to say, I one. have terrible handwriting, so I'm trying to figure out what I wrote. Oh, you got Manwolf, correct? J. Jonah Jameson the third. Uh, we need a redemption on Dollmaker. So I got. <laughs> I, I knew you this one. You got the Arrow version of Dollmaker. Better than you getting nothing. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so there have actually been three Dollmakers and a spinoff named Dollhouse, I think it was. We'll get down to there. I've got the list. The first one, the Marcel Mannequin version. His name is literally Marcel Mannequin. <laughs> 
It was an enemy of Plastic Man. Created by Arnold Drake and Jack Sparling. He was a talented doll maker that made sentient mechanical dolls to commit crimes, and he used it to fight Plastic Man. It didn't work. That's about it. Yeah. The second one is Anton Schott, who is the son of Winslow Schott, the toy maker. maker. Who was taken away from his father by his mother, even though his father just utterly ignored him. Even though he was a gifted toy maker from an early age, which you think the toy maker would be all about. But he's like, no, fuck you, I don't care. Um, I'd be very concerned unless, like, my kid's a real good toy maker. <laughs> it's a fucking unsettling concept unless I'm a toy maker myself. Well, he's but, uh, the toy man, so he was. A... But still, that's pretty... F- yeah, he's yeah. probably... Uh, he's also the toy man, so he's probably not concerned about that. Um, and then his mom took him away because he was worried that the toy man was a pedophile because this was the really awful period where they needed to make toy man a quote-unquote actual danger instead of just, like, a weirdo with a toy theme. Weirdo with a toy theme it would have been the better choice. Comes up a lot. Like, it was bad. It was during that period where Batman was getting more popular, so they were trying to up the danger of Superman's villains because Superman's got, like, the huge name villains and then the ones that you're like, Superman, what are you doing here, man? Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> why, are, I, why didn't you just send Jimmy Olsen to Like, literally Jimmy could have handled this. <laughs> also, like, you... Toymaker, the prankster, like... I know you're Superman. You could just take care of this and be done with it. Like, you don't need to make a... Don't make a meal out of this. Just... Anyways, Toymaker should be a, like, kind of goofy. You used to watch Eureka, right? Yes. Okay, so do you remember the guy that ran the cafe, the kind of, like, heavyset dude with long hair mm-hmm. that was very queer-coded? Yeah, I don't yeah. know if they ever actually... It doesn't matter. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. In Smallville, he played the Toymaker as the most, like, scene-chewing, scenery-chewing, like, supervillain, and he was so fucking good at it. It was pitch-perfect casting. But anyways, this one, his mom pulls him away from his dad because she's like, he might be a pedophile. And then she just ditches him on the streets of Metropolis. What a shit move. (laughs) I mean, better than ditching him on the streets of Bloodhaven. Um. Okay, but still. (laughs) If we have to choose. Yes, yes. Okay, fine. You could have taken her to a fucking fire department, a police station. you were just saying you could have taken him to a fire. (laughs) I mean, you could have taken him to a fire and chucked him in. Anyways, Anton discovers one of his father's old workshops and decides to make a name for himself as the doll maker. He starts kidnapping other children to compensate for his abandonment issues and turning them into cybernetic doll-like slaves. Um, he becomes obsessed with Daily Planet reporter Cat Grant, who is in the Supergirl TV show, her boss for the first like season or two. Yeah, what's that actress's name? Because she plays Allie McBeal. <laughs> oh my god, you're right. Um, oh, she was amazing in that role. Oh, she's great as Cat Grant. She did a really good job. And then when she shows up and is suddenly like super coquettish to Clark, was so fucking. I was like, oh, you got fucking range. Okay. But, anyways, uh, in the comics, she had had a child who was killed by the toy maker. So that's where his obsession comes from. She, the, the doll. Toy man, not toy maker. To- uh. The doll maker starts sending a doll to Grant every time he kidnaps a child. And then um, Grant and Supergirl end up eventually taking him down after he kidnaps Grant and tries to make her his new mother. And then she punches him out. 
God, this one's fucked up. <laughs> that's that's really fucked up. Hey, uh, here's a doll. I, I kidnapped a kid. <laughs> oh, here's another doll. I kidnapped, I kidnapped another, another kid. kid. And he's just a little kid still. He's like mini me toy man. Oh, I hate that. <laughs> the next one, Barton Mathis, the new doll maker, came from the New 52 era. As a child, Mathis went on several quote-unquote hunting trips with his father, Wesley. These During these hunts, Mathis watches his father kills and then cannibalizes people. He ends up becoming a serial killer in his own right after James Gordon shoots his dad to death in front of him because of the whole, you know, murder cannibalism. Serial cannibalism? Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, I know ACAB, but it's kind of hard to fight him on that one. Uh... Uh, he disappears for years, resurrects as the doll maker, a serial killer who creates dolls out of the skin and limbs of his victims, whose mask is partially made from his de- the skin of his deceased father. God, this is real fucked up. He's best known. <laughs> These redemptions for... are upsetting. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. He's best known for the Joker goes to him when he needs to be reinvented, and uh. Dollmaker cuts off the Joker's face with the Joker delighting in the pain and the torture of it all. The next time we see Joker is during Death of the Family, where he has now stapled his face back onto his face. Yeah, it looks real fucked up. Uh, it's dumb, but Greg Capullo makes it look scary. And Curious um, to know, was this pre or post uh, Jared Leto's Joker and the whole... Uh, Death of the Family be pre? Pre. Right? Yeah. Not by a lot, but it was a couple of years before, and it was kind of what made them go like, oh, we just got to go really hardcore with the Joker. They just did it so wrong. Oh, yeah. Let's give them face tattoos and uh, make them say deranged. Uh, Anyways, he ends up getting involved with the Joker in various messing with Batman things. He eventually dies. No one really cares. (laughs) It's a way longer story, but no one really cares. Uh, later, his daughter will reemerge, trying to continue the family line. Oh, also, Dollmaker thought this Dollmaker thought of Toy Man as his uh, honorary father or something like that. Um, bigger question: This guy is procreated. Yeah, Matilda Mathis. She comes from a bloodline of supervillains. Okay, so he now oddly she's like. I'm a successor to Dollmaker and his surrogate father, the Toy Man, despite the fact that, like, her cannibal granddad is so much worse than Toy Man. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. She ends up going up against Catwoman, and she's just a little girl version of Dollmaker. And she kind of looks like those creepy porcelain dolls my mom used to collect. My mom had a full fucking, like, closet full of porcelain dolls, and I, I did hate not that. like it. Yeah, my mom worked <laughs> at uh, at a mall doll store, so she had a metric ton of them. They are creepy. <laughs> never not. I've never not been creeped out by a porcelain doll. Uh, sweet. So then you had Devil Hunter, because you told us about the way cooler character. <laughs> so I got uh, Gabriel the Devil Hunter and Devil Slayer mixed up. Devil Slayer is a former cult member with a cool blue and orange costume and a magical transporting cape and a sword. Gabriel the Devil Hunter is Catholic Nick Fury. Yep. Yep. That's basically correct. He, uh, is... (laughs) So now I'm curious, what denomination is Nick Fury? 
I don't know, but he's not a priest. He's not like a Catholic exorcist. He is a man with a white stripe in his hair and an eye patch. He's fucking Nick Fury. Oh, oh yeah. Okay, now I see. Uh, Hasselhoff Nick Fury. <laughs> yeah. Gabriel was a teacher at Columbia University who returns home to find his pregnant wife murdered, although all of the doors and windows are closed and she is holding the own murder weapon. Because, uh, you know, possessed by a demon. To cope with his grief, he joins a seminary and takes his holy orders as a priest. He is then possessed by a demon himself, a demon named Catherine, which is just a terrifying name, who uh, compels him to rip out his own eye, set fire to his holy sacraments, and burn his house down. He then grabs a red-hot metal cross and holds it to his naked chest, searing the shape of the cross into his flesh and driving the demon from his body. Zoinks. Yeah, he's pretty extra. This came out shortly after The Exorcist. Um... He later meets the mysterious woman Desadia, which I don't know how to D E S A D I A. Desadia. Yep. Yeah. And the two embark on a career of professional exorcisms and they get married. He's probably best known for when Franklin Richards, the son of the invisible woman and Mr. Fantastic, and the next Galactus, gets possessed by Nicholas Scratch, the son of Agatha Harkness. He goes with the Fantastic Four to New Salem to stop him. He ends up able to uh, forge the Fantastic Four's love for Franklin into a weapon and drive Scratch out, but he leaves before he can be thanked or paid for his work. He then retires where he does writing occult news for the tabloid Weekly Gossip, World Gossip Weekly and performing mock exorcisms for people. It turns out that Desadia has been killed by the powers of evil, and Gabriel ends up being recruited by Damien Hellstrom, son of Satan, to foil the designs of Damien Hellstrom's imposter, who had been performing human sacrifices in San Francisco. During this storyline, there's some indication that these two have a destiny together because of their dark opposites of each other, because Damien Hellstrom has the fucking pentagram on his mm-hmm. chest and the other guy has a cross and then Warren Ellis took over the book and didn't want to do anything with this storyline so coward should have made him fuck <laughs> <laughs> Warren Ellis would have been into that I don't know what's going on so first they he gets Warren Ellis let him fuck <laughs> uh, at first he gets the breathing gun which is a firearm that can kill demons and then Hellstrom an encounter with Hellstrom after he becomes king of hell leaves Gabriel irretrievably insane and only capable of bagle- babbling incoherently and Hellstrom ditches him under the care of the gargoyle which is where Hellstrom leaves all of the people that he doesn't want to deal with after driving them insane oh, um for the record uh Nick Fury is uh, just broadly secular oh yeah. yeah i don't see him being like the the few Devout. times religion has been brought up uh, uh, around his character in the comics, he has mostly tried to be militantly atheist, but like is in fact working alongside Thor, so it kind of crumbles. Yeah, yeah, that's a god. He doesn't believe in god. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> two different concepts. Beast has actually a whole speech about this at one point, so like <laughs> it's a thing. And then you got Trigon, correct? Uh, knock off Mephisto with better drip. Yes. Uh, and this time around, <laughs> we only have one game to get into the House of Mystery. Because this was a... Guys, this was a hard season. Because <laughs> it was a fucking weird season. Hard was weird. Hard weird season to put together, but also... Can I just say you did pretty great overall? You did a, had a pretty great hit ratio actually, over that. And I really enjoyed the stuff you did come up with. Like, I know you had trouble with it, but like... 
These were some fun deep cuts. Well, this was also a hard one to come up with games for because either it was going to get really sad and fucked up. <laughs> yeah. Let's play the Unmen game. And I think we already did that. <laughs> yeah. Or Stephen was going to have a way unfair advantage because he listened to all of Fry's quirks. Oh, yeah. Let's do horror movie stuff. And I just like throw your papers in the air and walk out. <laughs> so I have one game that's double long than normal. Okay. okay. Let's do it. And what I'm going to need you guys to tell me is whether the title that I'm going to throw at you is a spaghetti western or a giallo. Ooh. Because giallo's the... Uh, the murder flicks. Yeah, the, the a- murder... Italian or, horror films. Yeah, arty, okay. arty psychosexual horror. Yeah, that's... Yeah, that's a better way of putting it than murder flicks. But I wasn't wrong. Italian pulp horror, basically? Yeah. Um, based very much in, like, detective-type stuff. Mm-hmm. But not necessarily... And spaghetti westerns are Italian-made westerns. westerns. Mm-hmm. Both from the same time period, so there's a Tyler lot of... Tyler really loves shitty Italian movies from this era. Yes. Yes, I do. Uh, so, how about Ride and Kill? Spaghetti Western. Spaghetti Western. Yes. Uh, that was the Italian title. It was released in the U.S. as Brandy. She's a fine girl. good, but like... That first one, I, I was pretty sure. Like the, He yeah. doesn't usually throw twists in the first round. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm going to say straight up, like, I think a lot of these are going to be kind of obvious. Like, this, I thought that this game was going to be more fucked up than it was, but I realized <laughs> that, like, the funniest examples of titles from both genres are way too obvious which genre it is. <laughs> you can toss us some of those at the end if you want. Uh, the bird with the crystal plumage. At Jala. It's the only one I could I know offhand. That was real. I thought you were just like that's an Argento. The crow flies backwards at midnight. I love when we do a bit, and he's just like, and they're just making shit up. <laughs> uh, black belly of the tarantula. Uh, Giallo. Yep. That one could have gone either way, though. That one could have. Death smiles on a murderer. Ooh, western spaghetti western. Giallo. Zach, you got it. Hour of death. Western. Western. Yes, Western. Uh, that was its title in Spain. It was released in the U.S. as Seven from Texas. Well, that's just bad. I know some of these I had to write down some of the alternative titles because no, no, you're like, wow, localization is weird sometimes. <laughs> you guys got nothing to change that to, apparently. So you just went whole cloth weird. The Hills Run Red. Ooh, uh, I want to say that's a spaghetti Western. Yeah. Spaghetti Western. Uh, that was the U.S. title. The original Italian title was A River of Dollars. What? That's <laughs> such a cool name, though. <laughs> a River of Dollars for a Spaghetti Western would was sell me. Was this supposed to be, like, a part of the dollars? Because Italy has those, like, sequel rules. So, well, we'll... <laughs> yeah, basically, yeah, they were trying to write off this, the, the coattails of that. Okay. There's a ton of spaghetti westerns where when you look up their Italian titles, it's like a fistful of something, the man from something, or it has dollars somewhere in the title. Uh, where am I at? Oh, who knows? Giallo. Yeah, I'm gonna say Giallo. Uh, that is actually a spaghetti western. <laughs> My uh, second guess was a uh, a rom-com? <laughs> That'd be a good name for a rom-com, actually. 
And then you just have, like, the one guy doing the, like, what are you going to do thing on the side while, like, the girl has her arms crossed. Although, like, like we just described, I'm pretty sure, a fucking Daniel Radcliffe movie. <laughs> which I'm into. Which I'm pretty sure is also, like, what if? Is the uh, title of it? Yeah. Who knows? That was the original Spanish title. It was released in the U.S. as A Bullet for the General. Uh, the Who card knows? Yeah. <laughs> the card player. Spaghetti Western. Spaghetti Western. Giallo. Oh, well done. You got us. That one was too obvious. That like, one, I was doubting myself, but like, I went with I, it. Like, I was like, that sounds like it's got to be a Western. I will say, that one is a little bit more recent of a Giallo. It's not from the heyday. I think that one's from like 2003 or something like that. No Tears for a Killer. Giallo? Western. Zach got it with the Western. Uh, it is also known as uh, Last of the Bad Men. And the original title is Time of Vultures. Last of the Bad Men's the winner of that one, I think. I like Time of Vultures. It's also a good one. The Devil Has Seven Faces. Giallo. Western. Zach got it again. Damn. Giallo. Uh, it was released as Bloody Mary in the U.S. and Night of Terror in the U.K. Okay. Like I said, uh, localization is weird. It really, really is. Uh, Fifteen Scaffolds for the Killer. Western. Giallo. Western. Fuck. Zach I'm, is cleaning. Why house. am I good at this game? <laughs> why am I so bad? Watch me when I kill. Giallo. Giallo. Yep. Uh, it was also re- that was the U.S. title. Its original Italian title was the Cat with the Jade Eyes, which I thought was way too obvious as oh, Giallo. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's kind of a baller name though. Like that's. And also was released in the UK as The Cat's Victims. Oh, it makes me think of uh, Grimjack the Manx Cat. That's why. Mm, mm-hmm. Night of Violence. Spaghetti Western. Giallo. Zach is cleaning house. Fuck. <laughs> Damn, you're nailing this, dude. <laughs> My skills are useless as they are varied. On the third day arrived the crow. Western? Western. Yep, Western. Have you gotten any of these wrong? Yes. Yeah, you've you One. both got who knows wrong and the card player wrong. Two. Oh, okay. <laughs> the man with icy eyes. Western. Giallo. Oh, Steven. Let's see. The flower with the petals of steel. That sounds like a giallo, so sounds I'm gonna like guess a horn. A, I'm gonna guess a western. <laughs> western. Western. Wrong, Giallo. Damn. It is also I thought he was trying to trick me. It was also released as The Flower with the Deadly Sting. See, now I'm thinking about this a lot. Uh, Giallo titles are fucking great, by the yeah. way. <laughs> Suck at Ant-Man Quantumania. But a Giallo titled Ant-Man Quantumania. <laughs> she killed him like a dog, but he was still laughing. Giallo? Western. Western. It, that was the original Italian title. It was released in the U.S. as Requiem for a Bounty Hunter. It's not good. <laughs> Requiem for a Bounty Hunter is like pretty standard, like, like title. What was the other one? She killed me she, like a... she killed him like a dog, but he was still laughing. See, that's great. That's fucking haunting. Uh, a quiet place in the country. Giallo, western. Giallo. It was too. The wind's anger. Western. Yeah, I think a western. That is correct. That one's actually kind of a weird one. I wanted to bring it up because it's one of the ones that really goes into the weird uh, Italian copyright laws because its original, its Spanish title is The Wind's Anger. It was a Spanish-Italian production like most of them are, but not all of them. 
it's not actually like it's a western in the same way that near dark is a western okay like it's not a western but it one million percent is because of the way that the story is presented and the way it's laid out it's also not supposed to be like it's actually set in spain though it's just done in that style from that time period from one of the spaghetti western directors and so they then tried to rename it and sell it as trinity sees red because the trinity movies were taking off okay uh, it is also a, like, intense drama, and they try to sell it as a comedy, because that's what the Trinity movies are. <laughs> <laughs> Weird. Italian movies in the 70s were so fucking loosey-goosey. <laughs> the Young, the Evil, and the Savage. Spaghetti Western. Western. Giallo. See, I was thinking, oh. like, the good, the bad. Yeah, the... I feel... <laughs> yeah, that was the trap. Gotcha, guys. <laughs> <laughs> gotcha, bitches. Uh, that was the U.S. title. The original <laughs> Italian title is Naked, dot, 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 You Die. See, that one I would have gone with. Giallo. Oh, that one I would have <laughs> guessed a Western. Uh, and you were wrong. You should have killed me right away. Giallo. Both. <laughs> <laughs> it's a spaghetti Western Giallo. Yeah, in that case, you get it both wrong. Uh, that is actually just a straight up spaghetti Western. Um, and it was released in the U.S. as Kill the Poker Player. Okay. And then, like, some... Yeah, because some of the wilder Giallo titles are just way too obvious as being Giallo titles. Like, All the Colors of the Dark. Uh, Your Vice is a Locked Door and Only I Have the Key. What have you done to Solange? Or what have you done with Solange? There's... And a lot of them were also just referencing things that were not around in the Old West. So... <laughs> What have you done with my electric iron? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> All the colors of the dark. I do love Giallo titles. They're very good. Every time you get to talk about them, they're always delightful to me. Don't, don't torture a duckling. Nine dolls for an August moon. And that's all I got. Okay. So I guess that's it for today, folks. But before we go, we'll let you know what next season's theme is going to be. So next time we're going back out into space so we can visit Skywatch Stadium because we're going from bad place to bad place. Uh, we will be... Still not Bloodhaven. It's so much better <laughs> in both cases. It's still better in the House of Mystery, too. We will be covering wild storm superheroes and, I guess, villains. Like, I didn't say we can't do that, so... Yeah, well, because it's it's wild story. It's not as big of a yeah. thing to pick. <laughs> it's surprisingly large. If you don't know, Wildstorm was the company that Jim Lee founded as part of Image and then later sold to um, DC. It is best known for the Wildcats. For future reference, how would you feel about like a Jimmy Olsen style character that's not a hero or a villain? Although I guess he's just a homie. Just a homie. How do you feel about homies? You just want to do a homie season? I mean, we should do a homie season. Rick Jones, Jimmy Olsen, Snapper Carr. Like. <laughs> that, okay, I'm going to make a note. We'll do that homies later. Homie season. <laughs> we do. I think I have like our next three seasons down, and homies would work pretty well with that. Mm -hmm. So, oh, I'm going to lose that one. Oh, yeah, that'll be a fun one, though. Doiby Dinkles. <laughs> yeah, but anyway, uh, we're going to hang out here at the House of Mystery for a little bit. But before we go, we'd like to remind you to hit subscribe and check out all of our sister shows at earvrm.com. That is E-A-R-V-V-Y-R-M.com. Other ways to get in touch with and follow us will be in the show notes. As always, we want to give a special thanks to our editor, Stephen Gady. And once again, thank you, Ian, for our theme song tracks. Till next time, I'm Tyler. I'm Zach. Up, up, in a stay.
stay and what, what did I come up with the other season? Oh, uh, <laughs> sit, sit and stay put. <laughs> yes, sit and stay put is very good. I always say landing, uh, landing sequence initiated. Either way, we're here now. Peace, people. 